welcome to New Persuasive Words, a podcast of hope-seeking understanding. You're invited to listen in to an ongoing conversation about theology, culture, and politics between your co-hosts, Scott Jones and Bill Bohr. Regardless of topic, Bill and Scott offer intelligent insights and critiques, sometimes funny, occasionally contentious, but always remaining friends. Now, here are Scott and Bill. Welcome back to the show. This is episode 246. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. We're getting dangerously close to 250. Dangerously close. Dangerously close. Danger. Living dangerously. Yes. Uh, a, year, a year of dangerous living, which was a great movie. Right? So yeah. this is what's interesting. Before we get on our topic of the day, I just want to say that I find it curious that... Uh, Who's the guy Ayers? Who's the guy that was that was Pence's? Oh, yeah, Ayers. Rich. They, he was described as this rich, young conservative, like thirty-six years old, right? Like baby. Like basically, he said, "You know, it's I just got to go back to spend time with my family." You don't at thirty-six <laughs> pass up the pass pass up the opportunity to be chief of staff to the president, probably the most powerful job in politics. And set and you're set up for the rest of your life with any consulting job you want, everything. So you're just going to do that to spend more time with your family. Well, you, you do if it means walking into working for a a felon. <laughs> well, that's that's what I'm saying. I think he I, he might be young and rich not much longer if he had to hire lord that, or Washington lawyers. By the way, I think that shows that the the ship is, is sinking. sinking. The ship Sink is sinking. By, by the way, Kathy Pepper from Texas is talking to us, and she's getting married next year. And we offered to come do a live podcast. Um, but uh, we will throw in Scott as DJ and I will, will officiate. There we go. <laughs> and we'll probably have to pay her to participate, but, uh, yes, it's, uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, we could do that. All, All right. right. So yeah, I, going back to, uh, yeah, that, that the, the ship is sinking. Right. And, and taking in water even as we speak. Yeah. I mean, who do you think takes the chiefs, Jared or Ivanka? They're the only people that won't quit. I mean, like who, who takes the chief of staff? Rudy, job? bring Rudy, let Rudy okay. do it. <laughs> Uh, what about well, they're they're you know how about Christie? Christie comes in, you sees himself Chris, as a you hero. Think Chris Christie would want to be chief of staff. I don't think, I don't think he would want to be the guy next to the guy. Mm, yeah, I don't think that's. I do not think that's like maybe you could pardon Cohen, Cohen, and then Cohen could do. It. Yeah, <laughs> Javanka, dude, it's going to be Javanka. Javanka, yeah. I mean, I I feel like that's. Yeah. What about Sean Hannity? There we go. Now there's 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 there we go. I mean Hannity. He's a supporter. There we go. Yeah. So you actually have to be able to do something. How did Hannity make his money? He was a bartender or something before he was. Yeah, but he's a millionaire. How did he become a millionaire? In media, like radio and then television. Those are quite the bar. That was. I mean, no. I mean, that was. He was made all of his money in in broadcasting. He's there was no anything before. Wow. Broadcasting. Well, all right. Very good. So I don't know. Yes. Things are things are not good. Things are bad, and uh, and we haven't even gotten to all the Russian stuff. Hasn't been. Do you think? You know, it's interesting. I think that at the end of the day, the Stormy Daniel stuff, the business stuff, might hurt more than the Russia stuff. Well, yeah. I mean, I think the Russian stuff is treason. But I don't think. (laughs) But I don't think. Like, okay, I think that there might be connections, right? But I think Trump, if Trump doesn't doesn't knowingly. Collude. Like if you if you pass whisper down the line and with, with information from Guccifer and everything, if Trump takes it and but doesn't know he where it comes from, it's not he's not. There's no conspiracy there. If if, if for at his level now below there might be. Well, but I'm even talking about all the money, 
all the Russian money laundering that's gone through the businesses. Well, right. Now that that's what I'm saying. That though is like criminal stuff that's not not necessarily related to the campaign, but before the campaign, and uh, well, and during the campaign. But I mean, like that that stuff. That's what I think. I don't think the smoking gun. You could very well not find the smoking gun that connects Trump directly to knowing any of this stuff. Because you know what's great for Trump? He doesn't use email. That's that is a very convenient thing because you, you, there's not a lot of trails. You know, what I mean, like. No, uh, we just have a long trail of tweets that. Almost every other one is obstruction of justice. This, this is true. The t- <laughs> tweets are the tweets are, but you know, I but it is interesting because you know, I wonder if it helps them that all these times that there's 14 Russians who ever tried to to you know develop synergy or whatever they say in the Cohen thing, and then they were rebuffed. You know, Cohen said we didn't. So I wonder is that. But they did get the Republican platform changed. They did get no Manafort. Did get the ch- platform changed. <laughs> That's a pretty big deal. But again, does that stop at Manafort? Like, that's the question. Like, does it, does any of that? Yeah. I mean, you could say there's, you know, and I think Trump certainly could argue that he didn't know what was going on. That, that's, Which is regularly <laughs> true. I mean, that's, that's the advantage. Very, pl- very plausible. Yeah. So I don't know. It's an interesting, uh, the people around him are going to jail and people around him have committed crimes. And uh, we really haven't gotten to, maybe we haven't even gotten to the meat of the report yet. So Kathy Pepper does ask us here on Facebook, coming from Texas, is asks us via Facebook Live, why do evangelicals not care about either his affairs or his campaign dealings? Rush, because they get judges. It's judges. Yeah, they've made their deal with the devil, literally. I, I mean, mean, not that, figuratively, literally, they've done that, yeah. You know, it's interesting. I heard, And I think they're all in. You get in that dynamic where it's, it's I mean, they've, they've gone all in on this, and that makes it even, <clears throat> that, that dynamic, of, what's the social psychological term? For, you know, you're all in and it's, you've invested too much to get out of it at this point. Yeah. They, that, yeah. I mean, they are, yeah, they are, but they are, but they're invested in this succeed. This is kind of, they've doubled down and this yeah, is their no, guy. I, and, I, yeah. And I think also they, the, the enemies of my enemies are my friends. So, you know, they, the liberal media, you know, and all those diversity people are against Trump. So, well, I well, think yeah. That's part yeah. Of and, you know, he will go to bat for that. Like, he will be angry about culture war issues about that which more than probably any president has done for that constituency so even though he's like he's he's morally bankrupt he is he is like he's like their cyrus no no one has ever done more for the confederacy than a a business a bad businessman from Queens. exactly exactly (laughs) i mean that's that's just yeah. so interesting. It I mean, is an interesting thing. But I, but I think this, I mean, it's interesting. If Trump were in any other office other than president, he would be indicted for the Cohen stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's just because you can't indict a sitting president. But. I think I'm, I'm uh, you know, I'm floating some ideas in my consulting business out to the uh, Trump people and say, maybe the 220 campaign is vote for me so I don't go to jail. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. You get, that's a lot. We have that, to cut it down is, to get it on No, the that head. is. I mean, that is like... That's where the one reason he might want to stay in office. I mean, I, I was, you know, like he, this is now, the, the White House is like the safest place for him. <laughs> Keep me out of orange. Yeah. I mean, that's, Trump. Yeah. so there you go. That's, that's very interesting All to right. me. Like, I think that's a, but who knows? I mean, there, but the thing about the Russia stuff though, who knows though? Cause more stuff drops every day. Yeah, I mean, like yeah. the, what's her face? The Marie, Marie Patine or whatever, the woman's infiltrating the NRA. We didn't know she had a plea deal until last week. Like, I mean, all this stuff just drops. Like, yeah. It keeps, it's, it's, uh. Someone referred to it as the battering ram. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it not is. good. I mean, it's, I would be yeah. if I were Trump, I would be because it looks like it's not close to wrapping up. I mean, it's not winding yeah. down. It's not. 
No. Especially, the, you know, the Russia stuff. I mean, it's... And it might be, looks like they might be getting a real attorney general. Ah, God forbid. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, we'll see. We'll see. Life goes on in the Republic. Yeah, it does. Life goes on. So... And so that's why we're for Christendom this Christmas. Christendom. Put, the, put the Christendom, keep Christendom in Christmas. Yes. Now, we both actually came to this idea from different places. First of all, it's funny, I brought this up to you. I, I was uh, uh, between, you know, um, satellite radio and uh, Amazon music. I can kind of choose my own soundtrack all the time. So I've kind of, I've become bored of my self-selection of Christmas music because I'm avoiding a lot of different stuff. So you can only listen to James Taylor Christmas, the Canadian Christmas album, Folk Christmas, Celtic Christmas, uh, Nat King Cole. You can only listen to that so long. So I was at the house the that's other day. That's what's great about Sirius Radio. There's yeah, no, that's so I mean. many holiday albums. I know, but I'm actually, I, I even, uh, and I could not live with the country music too long. So, and I like country music, but something about country Christmas music just doesn't do it for me. So Howard I, Stern was playing these depressing Christmas songs. And one was like this one where like he wants to get his mom the shoe she wanted as she's dying so she can be buried with these. And they're like, what is Jesus like pumps? I mean, I don't understand. Like, what are you <laughs> like? It's just this crazy that she put. He found some crazy depressing Christmas songs. Just yeah. really dark. Um, but I uh, so I was actually decorating the tree. Yeah. Uh, and I for some reason, suddenly maybe it was a, it was a repressed memory from childhood. But I asked. uh um, my Amazon Music, uh, I asked Alexa, play Perry Como, Christmas. Nice. And first of all, he has a very nice voice. But there was a line in it where they were, you know, I don't know. what It was one of those kind of songs they probably just wrote for the Christmas special. I never heard it before or I hadn't remembered hearing it. But there's something about, you know, the church is decorated and we will go and sing our praises to him. And now, again, that's, <laughs> uh, now I'm not trying to offend you with the pronoun or anything there, but— it was funny to me that sometime in the 60s, probably when that was played, it was a natural thing as Perry Como was walking around the fake downtown singing songs. Probably the Osmond brothers were the special Wasn't guests. he on like a, a barge before, like in the, like in the swamp, <laughs> like in the, in the, in the, the Delta? I don't, know. I don't know. But at any rate, this idea that um, interwoven into this very, you know, cultural pop Christmas um, was this idea that... that Saying your prayers was part of it, going to the church, and that even in the midst of this kind of schmaltzy music, there was a reminder of why this holiday was happening. And I, and it just struck me. I go, you know, there was that was not bad. There was something something good and okay about that. Again, I, um, I, I'm I'm one of those pastors who don't who do not rail against Christmas. I mean, I think. You know the consumer. I, I rail for Christmas. Yeah. I, well, I, the consumerism. I, I'm pro Christmas. I'm you, unashamedly. You know, I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of, you know, I don't know if it's hypocritical, but it's kind of silly to just spend three weeks railing about com consumerism when our entire postmodern economy is built on us buying stuff. So, uh, I think in some in some ways, I, I like the season because I kind of have people's attentions a little bit in ways I don't usually in other times of year as a pastor. Yeah, I think that's good. Having getting having their attention is good. It's what you do with the attention that matters. Yeah, I suppose. Well, maybe it does. That, that always was. I can't always, right, always. I guess, <laughs> that always is the case. I guess it's always, it's always the. I end. mean, you know, they're sitting there in the pew. You got to do something of meaning with them. You don't have to, I guess, but that's the op opportunity. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you, yeah, I mean, if if they if they find it, you know, relevant and edifying, it's good. 
I'm, I'm into that. Two one for of, two. I tell one of my favorite. Uh, I love this guy. He was Tom Jones, the third, I think. He may have been the fourth. But uh, he was this great guy in the community and media. He was a cross between uh, John Candy and, and uh, John Belushi, you know. So he was just this big-hearted, fun guy. He used to used to sponsor the drunken tractor uh that's not tractor a race. long that's not a prescription for a long life john <laughs> belushi and john Kennedy. well he died too young I, yeah. but he used to show up at christmas he'd show up maybe once a year usually at christmas eve he'd come into the kids christmas service <laughs> already celebrating and he'd go to me bill Bohr, my good friend bill Bohr. you know why i only come to church once a year i go no tell me why tom you are so good that I only need one sermon, and I think about it all year round. <laughs> I like that. I like that. That's high praise. There we go. Right. I think so. I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it? because of the conversations you find here. If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month or more? It's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going. And you can help launch several other podcast projects I've got in the works. So I invite you. To be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David Babico, Ellis Brazil, David Zoll, Sari Graham, Peter Steigerwald, Samantha Blythe, David Norling, Charlotte Donlin, Barry Stewart. Larry Rule, Stephen Lipless, John Schneider, Ben Crosby, Liam O'Brien, Jim Crest, Stephen Rowe, Ben DeHart, Jordan Morseberger, Josh Redder, Jennifer Underwood, Kai Whitpenig, Simone Garabedian, Jim Kirk, Samantha Konauer, and Jordan Demaze. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening, and now back to the show. So we want to keep the Christendom in Christmas. Dave, Dave Fitch will love this. Well, you said your wife. My wife said, yeah, she said something. We're driving. She said there's comfort in these ancient traditions, you know, that, that it's not made up on the spot, and, and, and that people have found comfort in these things for centuries and there's something you know reassuring and hopeful about that it's just, it's very it's nice it's, just, it's a profound reflection she kind of had on just the, on the significance of these traditions and we're listening to christmas music on the ride home and just and she said the same thing i mean the, this nice this sort of redemptive influence in the culture these these christmas songs and she it's, it's a tough time to be a tough, she said tough time of year to be an atheist <laughs> i said easter's easier because it's nicer out <laughs> but it's you know it's the dead of winter you know yeah so yeah i think i i'm for i i think that you know it's interesting the the, the sense of like wanting to make a house at home right like wanting your sort of domicile to be shaped in a way that i, I feel the same way about culture you know there's the sense in which there's a natural kind of enculturating nature of of you know a faith that i think could be very beautiful can yeah. also be 
you know, there could be dark shadow sides to it too. But I mean, I think at its best, it's, it can be a really beautiful thing. Well, yeah, you know, I'm uh, for my meditations. I have, and I'm reading depth. Um, who was a Jesuit who was killed by the Nazis in uh, um, in uh, I guess February of of 1945. He was he wasn't um, he was more of a religious opposition. Um, there was a group of them that gathered together to try to think of what happened after what would what would Christianity look like after the war was over. And he got kind of pulled in. He was the group was loosely associated with one of the conspiracies to kill Hitler, and he was actually offered his freedom if he renounced the Jesuits, but he would not. But for me, one of the things what, what he didn't think Dominicans would take him. <laughs> anyway, I mean, it was he uh, he spent his last uh, last advent of his life in an unheated cell in Berlin with his hands cuffed. Um, and to write, he had to go over his one wrist to the other wrist, and they were smuggling out his writings. But for me, the power of this season, and, and there's once they have this list, you know, one earlier homily he had given when he was um, still a priest, and he talked about the angel announcement of the angel, and he was reminded of an angel that a parishioner had given, and and he said both the angel and the parishioner perished in a bombing, but the but the message didn't die with them. And so I'm always kind of uniquely reminded or not uniquely but i'm always purposefully reminded that there's something about this season uh that gives people hope in the most desperate of situations and that you know i, I i'm in currently writing blogs for each week of advent kind of trying to make a little sense or trying to come to grips more with um both the tragedies and and joys of our family this year and I find that the rhythm of Advent is helping me maybe catch up on some grief and reflection, particularly around the themes of Advent. And I think that that ancient rhythm of the church is something that that uh, is just it is a light in the darkness. I mean, I think it was brilliant that uh, the church decided to place Jesus's birth uh, around the time of the you know longest night of the year. I think uh, I think it really works. Yeah, I read a, a there was a secular. Agnostic or something a couple of years ago wrote this great piece. I can never find it now. It was online somewhere and they were talking about like winter solstice and the holiday celebration. It's sort of like it, for ancient peoples, the whole winter solstice thing, it's like we made it. Like it's kind of like, yeah. it's like we're going into winter. We've made another year. Now we're going in again. And it's sort of like kind of, you know, winter could be deadly. And, and, and this sort of, you know, that that's the context where the light comes, you know, the light comes in, in darkness. Yeah. He, he makes this reflection on, on the symbolism of a candle. And he talks about the candles in Advent should remind us that the candle give its light, gives its life by, by giving up its own substance. That the light is given as it is diminished in its substance. And that's the same for us. And certainly that's an analogy of the, you know, the kenosis, the emptying of Christ. Certainly Joseph's sacrifice of his own dreams, Mary's sacrifice of her own body. Um, all of that is very much wrapped around in this season. And I, and I think, uh, for me, you know, my pilgrimage this year to the, to the, to the manger is, is, is as poignant as it's ever been. And, you know, I'm kind of happy to have Perry Como singing along. <laughs> What's going yeah, on? Yeah, there's no, nothing wrong with little Perry Como. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, no, I think, you know, it's interesting. <coughs> One of my favorite passages in the seven story mountain is from the second chapter when he talks about moving back to France. And it's just so, it's just so beautiful. He says, how did it ever happen that when the dregs of the world had collected in Western Europe, when Goth and Frank and Norman and Lombard had mingled with the rot of old Rome to form a patchwork of hybrid races, all of them notable for ferocity, 
hatred, stupidity, craftiness, lust, and brutality. How did it happen that from all this there should come Gregorian chant, monasteries and cathedrals, the poems of Prudentius, the commentaries and histories of Beta, the, Mor- the, Mor- the Moralia of Gregory the Great, St. Augustine's City of God and His Trinity, the writings of St. Anselm, St. Bernard's sermons on the canticles, the poetry of Cadman and Sinwolf and Langland and Dante, St. Thomas's Summa, and the Oxyanese of Dunst Scotus. How does it happen that even today a couple of ordinary French stonemasons or a carpenter and his apprentice can put up a dovecote or a barn that has more architectural perfection than po- the piles of, ecl- uh, of eclectic stupidity that grow up at the cost of hundreds of thousands of dollars on the campuses of American universities. <laughs> when I went to France in 1925, returning to the land of my birth, I was also returning to the fountains of the intellectual and spiritual life of the world to which I belonged. I was returning to the spring of natural waters, if you will, but waters purified and cleaned by grace with such powerful effect that even the corruption and decadence of the French society of our day has never been able to poison them entirely or reduce them once again to their original and barbarian corruption. I think that is such a beautiful reflection on just the, this history of of Christendom, right? Of this kind of barbaric, yeah, these barbaric tribes and stuff that that formed a culture that that gave the world a lot of incredibly beautiful things. And, and that's there's something that that I think in sort of the fashionable Christendom critique, which is kind of a power critique, which is which is val- a valid one. You know that that the church t- when it when it sort of depends on a kind of manipulative worldly power when it, when it's hope comes, you know, it, it, it is in sort of worldly power and its ability to manipulate things. It, that is that, yeah, that is all often always or almost always bad for the life of the church. But, but the, the beauty of kind of integrated story that, that infuses the culture, I mean that, and, and that there's really kind of something for everybody, you know, like, for the common person that's illiterate, for the religious athlete or the scholar, that you know, there's mm-hmm. there's this there's all these places, you know, that that fit, you know, where people can fit. I mean, there there's a beauty to that that yeah. that is is you know that that you know is inspiring and 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 you know is something for which to be grateful. You know, I I try not to tell this story every year during Advent. I, I'm always I ha- it's a it's a temptation. I didn't I did this year. I I um, Love to talk about the the nineteen the nineteen fourteen Christmas truce. Oh yeah, on the west oh, yeah. on, on on the Western Front, and um, to me, um, one could argue that that was the best example of what Christendom could have done and did do, uh, and it, it eventually was killed on the fields of Verdun and and the Somme and other places. Um, not by Christendom, but by modernity and uh, mechanized warfare. And that there was an impulse still in 1914 that, um, the belief in the savior of the world and the hope of Christmas was something that could stop them from killing each other. And it was only when the bureaucrats and the high command forced them to go back to killing one another that the truce ended. And, uh, there's this great book written about it in the last chapter is What If? What if it had lasted? You know, the world would be very different. But uh, I do think that um, some of the wide-eyed things we proclaim or some of the crazy things that the angels say or the over-optimism of Mary and and, and ecstasy as she uh, magnifies the Lord or uh, the hope of, of Zachariah, all those words, those hymns that are 
that Luke has woven together in the first two chapters. Um, you know, it's still a wild-eyed dream that it's worth trying to live it into reality and pray it into reality. Yeah, you know, I was thinking Sunday I was talking a little about because John the Baptist, the election I was reading was about John the Baptist. And you know, John the Baptist looks like a typical Second Temple apocalyptic prophet in many ways. You know, mm-hmm. the, and the proclamation is not. He's kind of a throwback. Yeah, I mean, he's even yeah, but he yeah. And the proclamation is not yet, but soon. Like yeah. the kingdom's not here yet, but it's coming soon. So get ready. And Jesus transforms that proclamation from to from not yet but soon to already and not yet which is it which is a huge shift and i yeah. think that that is and it's a hope it's such a hopeful message i mean it's such a shift that john is not sure jesus has it right i mean you know yeah. he's, no, the, the, no, mark's gospel he's very he doesn't yeah, think he has yeah, it not right at all. Yeah. yeah but you know i mean those but that i think these christmas traditions we're talking about are are, are they're, they're a beautiful part of that alreadiness you yeah. know the 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 the, the first fruits you know, of of the, you know, blessing that we hope and long for, the final, you know, the full, you know, healing of the, of the cosmos. Yeah, and I think even in the con in in the context last week between Advent one and Advent two became the, was a funeral of, of George H. Bush. Yeah, yeah. And I, I do think you know there's a sense where Christendom was on full display at the National Cathedral there. Yeah, yeah. But. Um, there is an opportunity for it to be redemptive. The Republic needs some redeeming right now. Absolutely. And so, uh, you know, that doesn't, you don't, you know, I, I mean, I, I honored somebody I never voted for. That doesn't mean I have to, have, you can do that without, you know, you can, you can do that without having to say, I agree with everything. I think the same thing is true with saying what can be salt and light in this world, in this country, whatever country you're part of, uh, without having to, you know, sell your soul. To, to Caesar to do it. Uh, and I think that is the already and the not yet. Absolutely, yeah. And I think that already not yet makes space for the, at the same time, sinner and saint. It, it's a, there's a parallel kind of thing where, you know, that we're, we're always on the way. We're always on a journey. And, and, and I think that that allows you to be hopeful and yet not naive or Pollyannish about it, you know? Yeah, and I think the church always gets in trouble when it collapses those two things into one thing. Yeah, whether it's full blown already the triumphalism, or the extreme separatism of not yet. absolutely, absolutely. And so I, I do think that holding those things in tension um, is part of how we get through this time of decline in um, in the church in the American church. Um, and it's it, it, you know it's it's the way we should have gotten through when things are going well. So it's just yeah. what's right, and and yeah. this season reminds us of those things. Yeah, amen to that. All right. Peace, everyone. Thanks, everybody. Hey, listeners. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of New Persuasive Words. Hope you enjoyed Scott and Bill's conversation and will join us back here next time. Until then, thanks for listening and God bless.